morning we're talk, we're continuing our talk series on generosity, and this morning we're talking about money. So one of the 845ers suggested that I should start by singing Abba song, Money, Money, Money. But uh, lucky for you, I'm not. But I thought, I thought since my last joke went down so well, I'd tell you a couple of jokes too, in fact. So here we go. The 845 really got into this, so, okay. So when does it rain money? I don't know. When does it rain money? When there is change in the weather. Another one, here we go. Why is money called dough? Thank you, Dave, because you need it. Right, no more jokes, that's okay. Now, I think churches only expect one money talk a year from their pastor. But it might surprise you to know that Jesus talks more about money than he does about prayer and faith combined. If we just take the section of Jesus' teaching called the parables that we find in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are 13 of the 39 parables which are listed, I think, if they're going to come up on the screen. If we just go to the next slide. They are listed. uh, They either speak directly to money or Jesus uses money in the parable to teach us about the spiritual truths. So if we just took the first two parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, we see Jesus compare the kingdom of heaven to wealth and riches. And he teaches how the kingdom of heaven is worth selling everything to obtain. So why did Jesus teach so much about money? Well, in the talk this morning, I want to share with you two reasons why Jesus teaches us about money. And then go on to think about how we use the money that God has given us. So let's first look at why Jesus teaches so much about money. And there are two reasons that I'm going to look at. Firstly, to reveal what our true priorities are, whether that's God or whether that's money. And secondly, to reveal the various downsides and dangers of money which he wants us to avoid. So firstly, let's look then at what Jesus teaches about money to reveal our priorities and uh, what our true priorities are. So money reveals either a selfish heart storing up treasures for ourselves on earth or a heart focused on God which stores up treasures for itself in heaven by living a radically generous life for Jesus. Money is an amazingly powerful gift given to us by God, but how we use it reveals Whether we're living for self or we're glorifying God by investing in his church and in his kingdom and by helping others by being loved. Before I was a Christian, I remember uh, two two Christians who played in the same hockey team that I did at university. And the thing that really stood out to me about them was that they lived out what they believed. They lived out what they believed. So when I asked them why they kept on telling me about Jesus, they said it's because Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. And then they were the only two who didn't get drunk when we all went out on the lash of the hockey team. And so I asked them, why don't you get drunk? And they said, well, the Bible says, don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. They had to explain to me that that meant the Holy Spirit and not some drinkable spirit. You can see the condition of my heart. 
This really challenged me because I would have said I was a Christian at that time. But what I believed and how I lived my life were pulls apart. They just didn't match up. Jesus talked about the divide that's often seen in the church, sadly, today. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus goes on to say, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as we read Jesus' teaching about money, often our eyes are opened to what our priorities are. Before, as a Christian, my focus was to build up as much treasure as I could here on earth. But Jesus' teaching calls us to live a radically generous life, not hoarding things up, but actually giving things away. Not putting our trust in money for our security and comfort, but our trust in God, who is a generous giver. So where are you investing the majority of your time, your talents, and your money? Is it in building up your earthly possessions and in entertainment, which according to Jesus will perish? Or are we using what God has given us, which includes our money, to invest in Jesus' church and the kingdom of God? So the first thing that Jesus' teaching on money does, it reveals our priorities. The second thing it does, because of his grace to us, it reveals the various downsides and dangers of actually trusting money. And he wants us to avoid these, and so that's why he teaches on them. Money and riches have various downsides and dangers. One author said this, throughout the scripture, money is also seen as a false, temporary, and dangerous object of trust. The one who trusts in riches or or runs after them, according to Proverbs, will fall or will be disappointed. Money and wealth are good gifts from God, but they make terrible masters and can be very intoxicating and dangerous if we allow them to become our masters. Money is so dangerous that it, become, it can become our God. Jesus warned of this in Matthew when he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I'll just let that pass. <laughs> now, money in godly hands is an immense potential. But in those whose hearts have not been given over fully to the lordship of Jesus, it can cause destruction, not only in their own lives, but in the lives of their family and their children. We see how intoxicating dangerous money can be in the Gospels. Just think of the rich young ruler, for example. He came to Jesus asking about how he could receive eternal life. And in, an, in a first appearance, it looks like he's living a godly life. He's following the Ten Commandments. Maybe he's a bit like a Monday person who comes to church and sings the songs, who seems very religious, but yet doesn't give God anything back. Yet Jesus sees this man's heart and he speaks right into it. Look at the compassion here. 
Jesus looked at him and loved him. He doesn't condemn the man. But he says, one thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything and ha- uh, you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. In this we see the reaction of the rich young ruler. The power of money. The destructiveness of money in his life. And he goes away sad. Why? Because he doesn't do what Jesus calls him to do. To receive that life. To build that treasure in heaven. To receive salvation. Yet we also see in the Gospels a life touched by the power of the generosity of Jesus. One of my favorite stories is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was a wealthy man. But God, but money was his God. Yet there was something happening in his heart. I've often talked to very, very rich people. And they come to a point where they think, see that things just do not fulfill. It doesn't fulfill them. That there's still this massive hole in their heart. I remember speaking to one man who in the world's eyes had everything. And he said to me, oh, these are just things. They cause me more hassle than anything else. But yet Jesus gives me the true treasure. And he, I mean, he just... There was an amazing transformation in his life, a bit like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus runs ahead of Jesus. He climbs a tree because there's something about Jesus. What does Jesus do? He doesn't say, hey, you, Zacchaeus, I know your heart. I know how much you've stolen. He doesn't. He says, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must come to your house today. That has a dramatic effect on Zacchaeus' heart. And he declares at some point, whether along the way or in his house, look, Lord, he says, here now I give half of my possession to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I mean, that probably wiped out the the rest of his income. What does Jesus say in response? Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus saw that the kingdom of heaven was worth everything. That everything that he'd encountered up to that point was worth nothing to what he'd received in that moment from Jesus. And what Jesus brings to him in giving him eternal life. Through a radical encounter of God's generous grace, Zacchaeus' heart is changed. Both men had great wealth. But Zacchaeus, unlike the rich young ruler, was willing to give it all up to follow Jesus. You know, when God created us, he did so in his own image. We're image bearers of the Lord. We were created to be like him in many ways. But one of the main ways, I think, that we can be the image of God here on earth is by being generous with what God has given us. Just think of all the things that God has given you as his steward's. On this earth. He's given you his wonderful creation. He's given you friends and family. He's given you gifts. Both practical and spiritual. He's given you money. 
Everything we have is given to us by God, and we're just stewards of it for a time, using it to invest in his church and his kingdom here on earth. Jesus' teaching not only reminds us, but reveals whether this is a reality in our lives or not. Someone once said this, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse or the wallet. Now for some, it's that last conversion which is the hardest. I remember a Texas friend saying to me once, if Jesus has got your heart, then Jesus is Lord of your life. And it's true, because often the wallet is the last thing to go. So let me ask you two questions at this point. If you looked at your bank statement when you go home, what priorities would it reveal? If you looked at your bank statement when you go home, what priorities would it reveal? And as someone who's trusted money and known that it just doesn't bring happiness, what are the downsides and dangers for you in trusting in money rather than God? So there we see why Jesus teaches so much about money because it reveals our hearts, but it also he doesn't want us to go into the dangers of what money can do to our lives if we trust in money and not God. So let's move on to think about how does God want us to use his money? I've said our, our money, but it's really his. Now the world will tell us that money is a means of getting firstly what we want for ourselves, a resource that we reluctantly have to use up in meeting our various responsibilities of paying tax, of having to pay for families and all that kind of stuff. And then only with what's left over, and that might not be very much, as a way of bringing blessing to others through generosity. But according to the scriptures, God wants us to use our money in two ways. Firstly, faithfully to meet our responsibilities, to provide for our families, to pay what is due to the government, and to tie to the church we attend. And then secondly, if there's any extra, to be generous, to love and serve others by giving to those in need and those in our congregations and to support the work of the gospel in and through our church and further beyond. So when thinking about how God wants us to use the money he's given us, one of the things that we really need to understand is what God requires for us to give back to him. And this is called tithing. Now to see how seriously God takes this, I want to go to the book of Malachi, where God has something against his people. And through the prophet Malachi, God says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. There is God's faithfulness to his people. He made a covenant with him, and because of that, even when they rebelled, he stayed faithful to them. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And what? The Lord says next, actually about how we return might really surprise some of us. But you ask, how are we to return? With a mere mortal, what, what, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. The people were robbing God by not bringing their tithes and offerings to him. And God was saying, return to me. Return to me with your tithes and your offerings. 
Now, J. John tells a very funny story, which I'm sure some of you might have heard. It's about a man who's in an airport, and he's hungry, so he wants to buy a bag of small donuts and have a coffee. He goes to the cafe, buys the donuts and the coffee, and he looks for a place in the cafe to sit down. But the only place is this far table in the corner where there's already a man sitting, but there is a spare seat. So he goes over, he puts his coffee and his bags down, he takes his coat off and sits down. He then opens his coffee and has a sip and opens the bags of of donut on the table and eats one. The other guy looks up, reaches over, opens the bag of donuts, takes one of the donuts, eats it, and then smiles at the man. The man cannot believe it that this guy has taken one of his donuts. So he gives him a look. Those are mine. He then moves the bag of donuts as close as he can to him, so it's as far away from the other man as possible. The donut stealer. He then takes a sip of his coffee. To his unbelief, while he's sipping his coffee, the man reaches right over the table, opens the bag of donuts, takes out a donut, and eats it with a smile. The man is now in complete disbelief and is rehearsing in his mind what he's going to say to this, this villain, this donut thief. And as he's rehearsing, the other man again reaches across the table, picks up the bag, which only now has one donut in it, takes it, breaks it in two, eats one bit, puts the other bag, uh, bit on the top of the bag, smiles, gets up, waves, and goes off. The man is now in some kind of rage, in disbelief. But he realizes in this moment, thankfully, that he needs to go for his flight. So he gets up, puts his coat on, bends down to pick up his bags. And there sitting on the top of his bag is his bag of donuts. (laughs) So he was complaining that the other man was stealing his donuts when in fact the other man was sharing his donuts with him. Now let me just say something here. God owns all the donuts. <laughs> I hope you get that, all right? Every month we get a bag of donuts. That's the money we get. And let's say we get 10 donuts. And God's asked us to take one of those donuts and give it to the church. This is called tithing. There are all God's donuts, and he says, give one to the church, which leaves you with nine. Now, you might say to God, but God, I need 11 donuts, or I need 15 donuts this this month. But you know what? God is incredibly faithful. And as you give that one, he will give you what you need, because he's promised. Now, some of you might have nine donuts after you've given one, and you don't need nine donuts. So it's an opportunity maybe to give more or to give to another charity, something that's close to your heart. But if we take all the donuts and don't take one, give one to the church, then we're robbing from God. And as Jack Deere once said, if there's someone that it's not a great idea to rob from, it's God, who's all-seeing, all-knowing, and is everywhere. We don't give so that we can get back from God. He doesn't reward legalistic giving. That's what he was attacking. That's what Jesus was attacking the Pharisees about. We give out of response of God's generosity to us. 
We give from our heart in response to his grace, his salvation with great joy. Generosity from the heart brings a blessing to us. I mean, Luke 6 tells us this. It's a scripture. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured out into your lap. For with this measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you're going to hold all the donuts, that stops God's generosity to you. But if you give that one, it opens up. Or how about 2 Corinthians? It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So tithing is just giving back a small amount of what God has given you. If we read a bit further in Malachi, we see God making an amazing promise if we're willing to tithe. It says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Then there may be food in my house, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store in it. This is the only place in the Bible where it says, God says, you can test me. And what's it about? It's about tithing. It's about bringing that one donut to God out of his generosity. It, I was fairly late on in my Christian walk when I heard Jack Deere speak about tithing. I think I shared that a while back. And I was so convicted that I hadn't given 10% that I went back and I said, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give 10%. Um, but then reality kicked in. And I thought, but I wanted to buy that guitar. And I worked out that it would roughly take me five months to save if I tithed. I thought, that's all right. I'm still going to tithe. I've been convicted. I'm going to do this. I kid you not, I wrote the check in those days, gave it to the treasurer, there are much easier ways to give now. Do you know what happened the very next morning? I gave 10% of my salary. The very next morning, a check came through the post for the exact, well, it was a penny more, and it was a lot of money for the guitar. And a friend had just put in a rote, felt God say, I need to give you this. Because you can't outgive God. He's an incredibly generous giver. If you just give back to him what he asks, he'll open the storehouses of heaven. Now, there is a debate amongst biblical scholars what amount we should tithe to the church. Jesus only mentions tithing in the Gospels while rebuking the Pharisees who gave legalistically and not from a generous heart. But in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 to 9, Paul makes it very clear that Christians are responsible to be generous with their wealth in giving back a portion to support the work of the church. But the New Testament doesn't give a specific percentage which we should tie to the church, such as 10% that we find in the Old Testament. Or if you're really going to be legalistic in the Old Testament, it's 21.7%. Wow. Now, I personally think that 10% is a benchmark we can still use for our giving in choosing. And in choosing this, we're honoring a God-given Old Testament principle. Now, others would suggest, such as Sam Storms, that this, this, this time does not mean you're sinning if you don't give 
you, to give only 8% or to give 50% is equally permissible. Not to give at all or to give disproportionately to your income, which is the case with most Christians today, or to give grudgingly is indeed sin. Let us be joyful and generous in our giving after all. Everything we own belongs to God anyway. And Sam Storms goes on to say, just as the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized Christian or a churchless Christian, so also the New Testament knows nothing of a Christian who does not give faithfully and generously to the work of God. Faithful and generous stewards of one's financial resources to support the life and ministry of the local church is as much a mark of a true Christian as is love for one's neighbor and sharing the gospel with an unbeliever. Giving in support of the local church isn't optional. It is no more optional for the Christian than sexual purity or telling the truth or sharing your faith. Now you have to understand that as your pastor, I need to present the truth to you. You then have to prayerfully decide for yourself what you're going to give at response of God's goodness to you. So let me finish by explaining what I do to bring things really practically. Every, every year, uh, I look at my finances so that I can make sure that I'm not robbing God. I follow the same procedure with a spreadsheet. Firstly, I put my income at the top of the spreadsheet. And then I go in and add all the other things, the mortgage, the council tax, all the things that we need for family and for savings. I then calculate my tithe from my total income. And if I'm unable to give 10%, then I go back to see how I can do this without taking anything away of the necessity from the family, but maybe take away something from saving or from something else. And then if I can give more, I will. And if I can give on top of my tithe, give to other Christian charities such as Tear Fund or Open Doors, which are close to my heart, I will. And I want to make this declaration this morning. Since I started tithing and budgeting, I think there's two things that we need to do as Christians. Tithe and budget so that we get the right amount. I've never been short. What was interesting before, before I tithe, is that I always used to run out of money. Now, as I'm not very good with numbers, it's important for me to get an accountant to do my tax return each year because I want to be right with God. I don't want to rob anything. And uh, I always take, uh, you know, you do it, that's it. It's a done deal. And they're, you know, they've, they've, they've done the numbers. So two weeks ago, I get a letter from the tax man. I don't know about you, but I always have a bit of a <gasps> when you've got that envelope. Because you don't know whether you haven't paid enough and you're going to have to pay more or you're going to get a rebate. So as I opened it, I was completely surprised that there was a check in it. It was, qu- it was quite a large amount of money. So I emailed the accountant, as a good Scott and Yorkshire man, I was like, is this right? And back came, yep, that was what we calculated. That was a sign to me of God's goodness, of his generosity. You can't outgive God. That will pay for our next holiday. Giving, as God's word teaches us, allows us to be dependent upon God, on his goodness and his provision, rather than putting our trust in money and ourselves. I've experienced both in my life. 
And I can honestly stand here this morning and say that God is so rich in his generosity when you choose to be generous. When we understand that we're just stewards of what God has given us, has put into our hands in his kindness and goodness, then we start to see money as an amazing gift, which he has given to us. He has entrusted as his stewards to bring things of the kingdom, to invest in the church, to store up treasures for ourselves on earth. I want to get really practical with you. I'd encourage you to go home and look at your bank statement. What does it reveal about what your true priorities are? Remember the first thing that Jesus taught? He taught about money to reveal what your priorities were. Is it God or is it money? Who are you trusting in? Are you storing up for yourself treasures on earth or are you storing up for yourself treasures in heaven? Who is truly your master? Money or God? As you look, you'll quickly see whether you're robbing God or not. Tithing is such a simple response to God's goodness and generosity to us. And it opens God's generosity back to us. Let's not stop the generosity that God wants to bestow on us and through us to this world by not being a good steward of the money that he has given us. Let's pray. If the band could come up, that would be wonderful. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are your image bearers here on earth. And we thank you that you care for us, that in, G- in Jesus' teaching, you address money because you know it can be such a problem for us. It's so powerful. But yet you trust us with it, Father. And you call us to invest in your church and in your world, storing up treasures in heaven. Lord, thank you that, uh, that you don't call us to live a, a nomadic life or a, a, a life where we haven't got enough. Actually, when we do tithe, you provide everything we need. And so, Lord, if there needs to be a change, Lord, would you reveal that by your Holy Spirit? And that this would bring about fresh testimony in our lives to share with others the goodness of God, both through testimony, but also just financial ways to bless people. For it's so much better to give than to receive. But yet, you give us so much, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you be working in our hearts? Lord, if there needs to be conviction, Lord, bring it. If there needs to be encouragement, would you bring that? But Lord, help us to see this as an opportunity just to give back with grateful and thankful hearts of what you have given us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.